topic for, <clears throat> for this time is Mordecai, faithful follower, faithful subject. And the, the intent of this lesson is just to look at the life of Mordecai and to think about, each of us think about personally, what, what can I learn from the life of Mordecai? And we don't have to use a lot of imagination to really relate to the position that Mordecai was in. Mordecai truly was a stranger in a foreign land. We, if you look at Esther, the second chapter, we see that, that he it's true, he was raised there in the Persian Empire. But if you go back just a few generations, his great-grandfather was taken captive by King Nebuchadnezzar, and he was their family, as with, with most of the Jews, they were brought there to the Persian Empire, and they were they were truly living there as strangers in that foreign land. Now, some Jews had, had started to go back, probably about 50 years before that, but for whatever reason, Mordecai was still there uh, in that Persian Empire. And it's, it's doubtful that he truly felt at home there. And so I wonder if, if we can relate to Mordecai in that. I wonder if you can relate to Mordecai in that in this world, maybe you really don't feel at home. Maybe there's times where, where you feel like, I don't really fit in here. And maybe you feel like that more and more every day in this country or in this world as, as you consider what goes on around you and, and talk to others. This world truly is not our home. And, and if you feel that way, that's probably a good thing. Philippians, the third chapter, 20th verse, it tells us that, that, that we're not citizens here in this country or whatever country you were born into, but our, our citizenship is, is really somewhere else. Our citizenship is in heaven. And so I think we can relate to Mordecai in that, even though, but even though Mordecai was a stranger, in a foreign land. He still was a faithful subject to that country in many ways. And he still was a, a faithful follower of the Lord, if we if we understand the things that Mordecai did here. So I'd like to look at, at really just two things this afternoon. Uh, the first one is how it was that he acted as a citizen of this Persian Empire and was still a faithful follower to God and yet a, a faithful subject um, to the Persian Empire. How did he do that? How did he find that balance there? And then the second thing, I, I just like to look at what, what examples of faithfulness that Mordecai left us. Just look at a few, few examples and think about, well, what, what can I learn from that? So let's look at that that first idea. Because one question I think that the book of, of Esther and Mordecai especially help us to answer is how do we live here in this country? How are we supposed to live in this country when maybe we don't agree with everything that we see going on? Mordecai probably had a lot in common with you when it comes to maybe how he felt about the government around him. Uh, just, a, just a little background on the Persian Empire and, and maybe specifically that king. 
So the, the Persian king at that time, we, we just have, there's just no indication in the Bible, no indication that, that he had any faith in the one true and living God, and that, that he had much of a desire to live that the way God would have him to live. There's just no indication of that. In fact, what religious historical information we have about uh, the Persian king was that he was he was most likely uh, what they call a, a Zoroastrian, if if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, that was just the that was the common religion of the time, um, and there was other religion. This was a very this was they kind of celebrated diversity in this culture, and they allowed a lot of different things to go on. Uh, because they had they had subjected many other kingdoms under the Persian Empire, but one of the one of the religions of this was this Zoroastrian religion. That's most likely what King Xerxes uh, was a follower of. So he didn't his religious beliefs weren't really congruent with with Mordecai's. Uh, also, we see that King Xerxes didn't have a lot of conviction, personal conviction for right and wrong. We can look a lot of his decisions really seem to be made by the popular opinion of his advisors at the time. Kind of go to them and say, hey, what do you think? And they'd give a recommendation and he'd say, okay, that sounds good to me. He does that multiple times throughout the book of Esther. Um, and finally, King Xerxes was, he was so apathetic to the Jewish religion and to the Jewish God, the one true and living God, that we, we see he passed a law. He was, he was perfectly okay with just wiping out the whole Jewish nation. He, he really had no it seems that he had no care for those people, at least originally, as we read throughout the book of Esther. So, so we see the kind of the climate that Mordecai was, was living in here. And it, it brings us to that question. Well, how did he, how did he respond to that? How did he respond to this, this empire, this king that, that he probably didn't uh, agree with? There was probably a lot of thoughts that went through his head, a lot of options he could have done. He probably thought, well, Maybe, maybe I should go back to Israel. Some of the Jews had started to do that. Again, probably about 50 years earlier, some of the Jews had returned to Jerusalem to help rebuild that. For whatever reason, we're, we're just not told. Mordecai, he decided that he was going to stay here. But that might have crossed his mind. Maybe he thought, well, I'll just, I'm going to get away from this. I'm going to go isolate myself from, from this culture, from this, from this king. That was, that was one option. Uh, he could have revolted. He could have said, "I'm going to lead this revolution. I don't agree with this. I'm going to, I'm going to protest. I'm going to revolt against the, against this, against this government that I'm a part of." Uh, there was there was just a lot of things he could have done, but looking at what he did do, first of all, we see that he stayed. He stayed there for whatever reason, and not only did he stay, but he did. He ended up showing a, a small amount of. Of patriotic loyalty uh, to this empire. We can look at Esther, the second chapter, verses 21 through 23. And we're familiar with this, this passage, I think. So what's happening here is there's there was this plot to kill the king. Two eunuchs, had, uh, they were upset with King Xerxes, and they, they decided that they were going to kill him. Right? It's my understanding this wasn't an uncommon thing at the time. This this just happened all the time. That was kind of the way of... So today, we, we tend to vote people into office. At that time, they just kind of killed them off out of office. And so, uh, this, so this type of... This is just how it worked. And, but so this is what was happening. Two eunuchs said, we're going to kill the, the king. Somehow, Mordecai 
he found out about this. And he had a decision. Well, well what am I going to do? Am I going to keep that to myself? Part of him maybe desired to. He thought, well, finally, this, this King Xerxes will, will get his justice. But he didn't. He took that knowledge to Esther, and Esther in turn told the king. So in effect, Mordecai saved the king's life. So this is how Mordecai acted in in this government that he probably didn't agree with. So what's what's the application to us? Um, it's probably easy for, for some of us here, maybe many of us here, to relate to, uh, to Mordecai's situation. I'm certainly not going to ask for a show of hands, but there's there's probably people here who don't agree with our current president, or maybe the guy before him, or the guy before him, or the guy before him. It, it's, that's very likely. There, there's probably people, there's probably members of Congress that you have fundamental differences with. Your local government, there's there, you probably just don't agree with some of the things they do, they say. There's probably books, uh, laws on the books today that that as Christians, we, we just can't agree with these things. Okay, this is a situation that you might find yourself in, similar to that of, of Mordecai. So what should our relationship be with our government? Well, let's consider the example of Mordecai, and, and let's consider some of the New Testament direction we have on that. First Peter, the second chapter, the 13th verse, a good place to look. What does that passage tell us about what we should do to our to our civil authorities and our civil laws? Submit. Yeah. Submit is what it tells us to do. First Peter two and thirteen. Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him, for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. Submit. That's what we're told to do there. Let's think about this. What does that mean, submit? Let's think about this word. So if we look at the the original Greek that this was penned in, uh, if we put this if we put this into our English letters, uh, it might be pronounced hupotasso. Let me just read the meaning of this word. To subordinate reflexively. To obey. To be under obedience. To put under. Subdue unto. Be or make subject to or unto. Be put into subjection. Submit self unto. And so this is what we're told to do in relation to our government. To submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. And so I think it's important for us to each think on a, on a personal level. What is, okay, what, if I'm submitting to the, to the government, what, what, what things should I be doing? What things should I be doing if I'm submitting to the government today? And each of us, I think it is good to think of it. Each of us need to make that, to think about that person. What things should I be doing? And, and on the other hand, what things should I, should I not be doing? If I'm submitting to the government, we also have Titus, the third chapter, the, the first verse, 
similar passage, it says, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. And then verse 2, it, it goes on to say, to speak evil of no one. Speak evil of no one. And that would include the religious, or excuse me, the, the political leaders. We ought not to speak evil of them. And, and this this can be hard. I, I've often been disappointed in some of our political leaders. You probably have been too. It's, it's easy to be disappointed. Uh, but this is, we have to think about, well, what, what things am I going to say and am I, and I, am I not going to say? If, if, I, if I'm living in a spirit of submission, what things am I going to say about these, these people saying to speak evil of no one? So these are things to keep in mind, and it's, it is tempting to maybe say slanderous things about individuals, about these individuals. And hopefully we are clear, hopefully it goes without saying, that there is a boundary to this level of submission. We have to, it only goes so far. We can, and, and again, Mordecai is the perfect example of this. Let's look at the third chapter of Esther. Perfect example. So, Esther, the third chapter, the first four verses. There was a command to bow down to Haman. That was the, that was a, Man, that was a law, we might say. But Mordecai, I refused to do this. And I, I don't think it was an issue of pride. I, I think it was an issue that as a, as a God-fearing Jew, he knew that that was homage due only to the one true and living God. And he, he purposed to himself that he was, he was not going to do that. He was not going to bow to this, to this Haman. So that's, of course, where that submission is. When it, when it is in direct contradiction to the Lord's command. And, and there is a difference between what the government allows and, and also what it commands. There is a difference, I think, that's good to think about. To think about how are we going to behave in certain areas. There were certain things the Persian Empire allowed to happen. But it was when they demanded these things, when they, when they required these things, that's where, where Mordecai took a stand. He said, I'm, I will not do these things. Just because the, the government allows it doesn't mean that I have to do it. And I, and I can still submit to the government without doing these things that the government allows. That is, that's perfectly within our choice to do that. And, and it's, I think we can still be submissive while encouraging others that there is a better way. Even though the government allows us, this might not be the best way. There's a better way to live with this. Just, just for example, so I live in the state of Missouri. If, if the state of Missouri were to pass a law that, that allowed polygamy, I feel that I could still live in submission to the government of, of the state of Missouri. And I could still live in submission to that while encouraging others that the Lord, there's a, there's a better way for marriage that the Lord has designed for us. And the New Testament gives us an understanding. I feel like I, I could submit to the, that government. However, if if the state of Missouri said, well, it's required that you have multiple spouses, then, then at that point we'd have to say, well, no, this is that's the boundary. At that point, we, we couldn't submit to that. Uh, the New Testament seems to indicate that the Lord's design for marriage is, is for one, one spouse. So Mordecai is a is a good example that it is. It is possible to be a faithful follower of God and a faithful subject to 
to a lot of uh, the governments that we see today, whether it's this one here or in other countries, other countries. But what was it about Mordecai that made him a, a faithful follower and a faithful subject? We, you know, if we consider Mordecai, he was actually he was able to not only do both, but to be very successful at both of them. Esther 9 and 4 says, For, for Mordecai was great in the king's palace, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces. For this man Mordecai became increasingly prominent. Also Esther 10, 2 and 3 says, For Mordecai the Jew was second to King Ahasuerus, and was great among the Jews, and well received by the multitude of his brethren, seeking the good of his people, and seeking peace to all his countrymen. So, even though he was a stranger in a foreign land, he was still able to have a lot of success. And that, that kind of brings me to the second thing I'd like for us to think about is, how was he able to do that? Not only was he able to, to do both, but he was able to, seems like, very successfully to do both. I don't know that I have the complete answer, but I, I'd like to look at a few examples that that help us, I think, to understand how he was able to do these things. In short, I think he was really just able to do this by, by fulfilling the opportunities that came his way. When an opportunity presented itself, he... He would just do it. I think if we were in a simple statement, that's what he really did. I don't think he set out to be this this great civil leader. I don't know that that was ever a desire of his. I don't I don't see any indication of that. But what he did is when he was presented with an opportunity, he he just did what he knew was right, and that ended up working out to his benefit. So let's. I'd like to just look at three examples of this. And. and it's interesting as we look at these some of these three examples that I've found here. They're they're strangely similar to a lot of the opportunities that, that each of us will have today. That's why I just think there's a lot we can learn from Mordecai. Let's look at this first one in, in Esther, the second chapter. One of the first opportunities we have that Mordecai has is that. We don't know the details, but Esther's mother and father had died. So she is now an orphan. And Mordecai is presented with an opportunity. We don't know a lot of the details around it, but he chose to, to raise Esther from that point forward. A big commitment. You know, this just isn't something where he decided he was going to go volunteer at the local food pantry one afternoon. He, this is a big commitment. This is the opportunity he was presented with, and he said, okay, I'm going to take this opportunity. We see in verse 7 is where we're getting this from, verses 10 and 11, that Eric mentioned earlier. This He continued to care for her. He continued to, to mentor her. Uh, even after uh, she left his home and, and went there to the palace of the king, he, he made a long-term commitment to this. And he wasn't necessarily out looking for some opportunity to do this, but it presented itself when, when Esther's parents passed away. So let's think about what's what's the example for us? What what can we learn from this example of Mordecai and how he took Esther? 
if you're like me, your your mind probably immediately goes to the book of James, first chapter. It talks there in the 27th verse about the, the pure and the undefiled religion that each of us can practice. James 1.27 says, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Now, most of us here might not have a cousin whose parents died, and, and we have that opportunity to, to take in an orphan. But today, in the United States, it's it's my understanding that there's over 400,000 children in the U.S. foster care system. Of those, there's more than 100,000 who are currently seeking and in need of an adoptive family. And so there's, there's an opportunity there. Uh, let, let me, you know, I was reading an interesting article just here recently. Let me just share this with you. This was published, uh, this was last November in the New York Daily News. Uh, it was also published in, in ChristianToday.com on their website. Uh, it was an article about a couple named Paul and Jeannie Briggs. Let me just read an excerpt from this article. Uh, this is a couple who'd they made the decision that they were going to adopt several children over the course of their life. When we think of large families, we might think of five or six kids. But the Briggs have surpassed that figure several times over. In fact, their family is so big, it trumps the 19 kids and counting Duggar family by a long way. And what's so incredible is that most of Jeannie and Paul Briggs' children are not their own. While while they are parents to five biological children, 29 of their children are adopted. The result is a truly international family with the adopted children coming from Mexico, Ghana, Russia, Ukraine, and Bulgaria. What's more, many of them have medical problems or learning disabilities and were regarded as hard to place by the adoption agencies, the Daily News reports. Now, it would be, it'd be careless for us to, to all say, all right, we're gonna, we're all, we all should adopt 29 children. It'd, it'd even be careless to say that, that we all should adopt one. It's, it's, it takes a special family, in my opinion. It takes a special family to, to be able to adopt or foster children. It's, uh, it presents itself with a lot of challenges. But there's, there's something we can all do to help towards this, this cause. There, there's other ways to help this situation. We probably all know individuals who have chosen to foster or to adopt. And we can, we can support them. We can support them prayerfully. Uh, we could support them financially. We could support them emotionally. We could encourage them. We could, we could serve them in, in just a, in dozens of ways. We could do that for the individuals we know. If, if you don't know an individual, there's there's plenty of organizations that they have. That is their dedicated and specific purpose to help orphans. And in the same in the same way, you can support those. You can volunteer your time. If there's one that you feel like is is doing the things that they ought to do and the way they ought to do it, you can volunteer. You can volunteer your time. You can give your money. There's just all kinds of things we can do. Matthew the uh, Matthew the tenth chapter, 
42nd verse says, And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly, I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. So can we can we all adopt? Should we all adopt twenty nine children? Well, no. But we, what about a what about a cup of water? Could we do that? Yeah, everybody here can do that. And we're probably all somewhere in between there. We can probably do more than one cup of water. But but Jesus says that even if even the least you can do, you won't lose your reward over that. And the point of this is not just isolated to. Two orphans. That was the example of Mordecai. But if, if we look at James the first chapter, the the point is what? Not orphans and, and not even widows. It's people who who need help. It says to to visit them in their trouble. So it's it's and, and orphans and widows are the the obvious ones. Those are the ones that that are most likely to need help. It doesn't have to be an orphan. Doesn't have to be a widow. But but that's the point of this, right? To to help the people who have a need. To visit them in their trouble. And, and this is the example we have. Mordecai's example and the New Testament's command compel us to, to find ways to serve other people who are in need. So Mordecai was presented with that opportunity and he acted upon it. That was one of the ways that he was able to, to be successful. Second example, Esther, the fourth chapter. Second example, we see that. Mordecai did what he could to save his people. In, the, in Esther, the fourth chapter, we find that this law has been passed that it's gonna, there's going to be a genocide of all Jews. It's going to wipe these people out. Now, what can Mordecai do to help this situation? At that time, he was a man of seemed of just normal standing in the kingdom. Some people actually think that Mordecai was a slave. That's why he was still there. I, I don't know. Just no way to know that for sure. But what could Mordecai do? He was, he was, they're going to wipe his people out. How could he, he can't stand up against this, this genocide. He can't pass some law that, uh, is going to stop this. Yeah, there's a lot of things he couldn't do, but it, but he didn't really seem, he didn't want to focus on the things he could not do. He thought, well, what, what can I do? There were a couple things that he could do. Uh, as to the fourth chapter, verses 13 and 14. Let me just read these, these verses here. It says, And Mordecai I told them to answer Esther, Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So, Mordecai, we get the indication he had to nudge Esther a little bit. He had to kind of talk her into to going before the king. That's, that's the indication I get from reading this. He, and we all need that from time to time. We we need that encouragement to, to do the right thing. Uh, also, verses 15 through 17, we see Mordecai, he, there was something else he could do. 
says, Then Esther told him to reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. In verse 17, Mordecai said, Okay, I can do this. So Mordecai went his way and did, according to all that Esther had commanded. So, no, he couldn't pass a law. There was little he could do, but he, he said, well, here's what I can do. And he did it. So, so again, let's think about how does this apply to me? What's the example? Spiritually, we're in a similar situation as Mordecai. We, we live among a people that are they're on that broad path to destruction. There's a lot of people around us that we that we that we know that we care about. They're that's they're on that broad path to destruction, just like the Jews were were set to be destroyed spiritually. That's where we're at today. Well, what what can we do? I can't convince all these people that to change their ways. I there's nothing I can do. How how am I going to change all these people? Well, you probably won't. You're not going to change everybody. But again, let's think about, well, what? Maybe there is something I can do. What, what simple thing can I do? In the example of Mordecai, what, you know, what, just think about that. This week, can I have a conversation with, with one person? Could I, could I just have one conversation with somebody and, and, and talk to them about, this is what the Lord's done for me. Yeah, I could do that. And I, and I could do that the day after that too, couldn't I? And, and the next day, right? We, this is a small thing, but, but I can do that. I can do a small thing. What about, what about praying for these people? Well, sure. We could all do that. So this is the example we have for Mordecai that, that when it comes to the salvation of others, there are things that we can do. There's, there's small things that each of us can do. Last example we have for Mordecai. Mordecai rejected the, the cultural norms of his time. And he instead do, he did what he knew was right. Again, back to Esther, the third chapter. There was a law passed that all should bow to Haman. And Mordecai had that decision. What am I going to do? Because he thought to himself, well, it'd be easier to bow to Haman. You know, I, I, it is nice to fit in. Everybody else seems to be doing it, and I don't. I don't want to be different. And, and even if I did bow to him, you know, I don't. I wouldn't mean it in my heart. The Lord knows my heart. I could bow to him and, and not really be meaning that. You know, these are things that he could have thought. I don't. We don't know. Speculating, okay? Just based on maybe how how I would think, right? So, but what did he do? Well, no, he didn't do that. He didn't say, "I'm gonna. I'm just gonna do this to fit in." He made a stand. He said, I'm, I'm not going to do these things. And again, we don't have to think for, for long at all to think about, well, what, how does this apply to me? There's a number of societal trends, fads, norms. There's a number of things that are normal that just fly in the face of Christianity. Well, what are we going to do? Are we going to, are we going to fit in or are we going to, are we going to say, no, this is, are we going to do what Romans, the 12th chapter says? Don't be conformed. To this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
You know, when it says world there, do not be conformed to this world, it's not talking about the globe that we live in necessarily. It's talking about culture. That's what that word, if we look at what it really means. Don't be conformed to your culture. That's what that passage was, was telling those people. Don't be conformed to your culture, but be transformed. Be different. And so we don't have to go out and, and purposely think, well, what am, what am I going to do to be different? You know, I'm going to just... I'm just going to be different. Well, that's not the point. The point is, if you're if you're taking the Bible seriously, you will be different. You don't you don't have to think of well, I'm just going to I'm going to do something goofy, so I'll be different. That, the point's not just to be different for the sake of being different. It's it's how can if I'm following God's word, then I'll be different. I'll be changed, and people will notice that. And and people notice that if we look at again, just back to this example uh, here in the third chapter. It caught people's eye. People, and then that's how Mordecai ended up getting in trouble. People came to Haman and they said, "Hey, he's he's not bound down." And then once Haman found out, he got really upset. And so people will notice. They'll notice that, "Hey, this 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 guy, he's doing something a little different." So the point is, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. These are just three examples that we that we have of Mordecai and, and how he acted, what led to to part of his success as a faithful follower and as a, a faithful subject. He helped his orphan cousin. He helped to save his people, and he he stood up against the cultural norms of the time. He, he did what he could. That was that's the overall point. He he did what he could. And I again present that point to you as we close. Just do what you can. As the opportunities come to you, just do what you can. Again, back to Matthew, the 10th chapter, the 42nd verse. And excuse me, and whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by, he shall by no means lose his reward. So do what we can. Just to, just a cup of cold water in his name give. It's, it's those small things that we can do. You know, I, I really appreciate uh, the words of J.R. Baxter, song number 80 uh, in our songbooks, and I, I just like to close by reading a few, a few words from this songbook. Uh, the, the title of the song is Room in God's Kingdom. I think it's it's based around this passage we find in Matthew 10 and 42. Let me just read. I think a lot of us have sang this song. We're familiar with it. But sometimes it's good to just stop and think about the words of this song. There is room in the kingdom of God, my brother, for the small things that you can do. Just a small, kindly deed that may cheer another is the work God has planned for you. Verse 2, just a cup of cold water in his name given, may the hope in some heart renew. Do not wait to be told or by sorrow driven to the work God has planned for you. And I really appreciate uh, how this song, the, the last few words of this song, and I'll leave you with that. 